Live from Seville, this is The Twilight Show with Harry Waters and you are listening live. I have absolutely no idea what is going on with the audio today, but the internet is having an absolute laugh with me, I have to say. Um, I don't know if you heard that hilarious Alvin and the Chipmunk style voice right then. Um, But anyway, let's get back to it. Hopefully I won't get kicked out this time. That is, in fact, the first time in around 80 shows I've ever been booted. So um, it's just the the radio gods telling me um, I needed to start afresh. So I, I have started afresh. I've even taken my hat off. That's how warm I am. And we know how often I take my hat off. Not very often. So thank you very much, everybody, for coming along and and joining the show. And we have a, a wonderful guest today. I cannot wait to, to share with you the interview that we had. I'm very excited. Um, before that, I will be playing the, the news and the, the tech updates. So don't worry about that. But what has happened in the last week? Well, I had my birthday. Woohoo! Happy birthday, Harry. It was lovely. I, I went to Cirque du Soleil. And I also went to karaoke on a Sunday afternoon with all of the families from uh, my, my daughter's school. So it was um, probably the most surreal birthday party I've ever had. But it was pretty awesome. I, I got to bust out Como Yo Te Amo by Rafael and also the Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, which which went down a treat. And then, of course, I ended... Just like I did at my my very own wedding, I ended with uh, "Killing in the Name" by Rage Against the Machine because you know that's what you sing on a on a family afternoon. Um, but you know we are in Spain. But I'll tell you what, most people probably had an idea what we were talking about. Anyway, so let's have a look and see if our audios are working now. We did have a funny version of my intro. Let's see what we're saying about the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a week where Ofsted has found itself under increased pressure and scrutiny following the death of a primary school head teacher, The Independent has focused on the decision by many school leaders to remove references to Ofsted from websites. The removal of logos and other references from school letterheads, websites and other materials is being done in what many describe as solidarity with head teacher Ruth Perry. Other forms of protest against the inspectorate have included the wearing of black clothing and displaying photographs of Miss Perry in schools where inspections are taking place. Unions have also urged Ofsted to pause inspections and the NEU handed in a petition to the Department for Education which had 45,000 signatures, calling for an accountability system that was supportive, effective and fair. In a statement, Amanda Spielman, HMCI, said it would be against children's best interests to pause inspection, and that inspection was important for both schools and parents. 
It has been further revealed by the BBC that inspectors had visited Caversham Primary School, where Miss Perry was head teacher, in 2019 as part of a pilot of the latest inspection framework, and that Miss Spielman had also been present. In a newsletter written at the time, Miss Perry said she was proud of how well pupils and staff had responded to the experience and that feedback had been overwhelmingly positive. But a formal inspection in November 2022 rated Cabochon Primary as inadequate as a result of failings in training, record keeping and checks on staff. Although it did also state that children were provided with a good education and that the school was a welcoming and vibrant community. In a statement, Amanda Spielman said that the, the debate about reforming inspections to remove grades was legitimate, but any changes would need to meet the needs of parents and government. And a spokesman for the Prime Minister said, we are confident the current rating system provides the right level of transparency for parents. In Manchester, students at the city's university who have been refusing to pay their rent in protest at high costs have been removed from a university building by bailiffs. The group of rent strikers had occupied the University of Manchester's Simon Building and videos on the BBC News website appeared to show some protesters being carried out. A spokesperson for the university said it regretted the action, but that the protest had been going on for a significant amount of time. Campaigners said the situation was disgraceful and shamed the university. Around 250 students cancelled payments in January and demanded a 30% reduction in rent, arguing they were struggling to buy food amid the cost of living crisis. A smaller group occupied the building, and it was this group who were removed by bailiffs, enforcing a court order after they had ignored multiple requests to leave. At the University of Birmingham, a recovery flat where students with different addictions can live together to help them complete their studies has been opened. The BBC reports on the programme, which is being pioneered by the university and is trying to help students stay addiction free. The Vale, a huge student village near the campus in Edgbaston, is home to thousands of undergraduates. In one of the large blocks of flats, six units have now been set aside for students in recovery. Supported by a peer manager, the flats are alcohol and drug free and currently are male only, although it is hoped another flat for six female students will open next year. The hope is that students can enjoy university life without missing out on support. The programme is supporting the Better Than Well project, which currently supports around 50 students and was set up to help students with addictions to be successful at university and with their recovery. On South Townside, a primary school in Jarrow kick-started their Kindness Matters Week as it became the first Kindness Matters school in the area. Pupils at St Joseph's Catholic Primary School and its staff were asked, what does kindness mean to you? And, in the run-up to the main event, completed a 30-day Kindness Matters challenge. Kindness Matters was set up in 2012 by John McGee, known as the Kindness Coach, and it teaches kindness and well-being to school children and teachers. McGee visited the school as part of the week, where he led a super learning day focusing on what the pupils had done so far and what they would do next to help the world be more kind. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. 
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've got to episode 60. What better to celebrate 60 episodes but look at what potentially happens every 60 seconds online and do it in 60 seconds. To do this, I've used the term infographic in my search. Infographics are a great way to show visually a lot of data. They're not just for IT concepts, and I'd recommend seeing if you can find any that represent your subject. The most recent infographic I found was in a blog by Stephanie called What Happens in an Internet Minute. Feel free to look her up and read her research. Right, here we go. Start the countdown. In an Internet Minute, 174,000 apps are downloaded, 16.2 million texts are sent, 231 million emails are sent, 694 million songs are streamed, 6 million people buy something online, 5.9 million Google searches are made, 44 million people view Facebook live streams, 20.8 thousand active users are on LinkedIn, 2.1 million people are active on Facebook, 575,000 tweets are sent, 46,000 searches are done on Pinterest, 66,000 photos and videos are shared on Instagram, 2 million Snapchats are sent, 167 million videos are watched on TikTok, 452,000 hours of content are streamed on Netflix, 3.67 million YouTube videos are watched, and that's just the headlines of an internet minute. That's a lot of data flying around, on the biggest network of networks there is the internet. As always, if you have a question on tech, why not send it to at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I have to say, thank you so much there, uh, Steve and Joe. Very slow at the end there. It sounded like you were slowing a record down um, to from a 45 to a 33, uh, yeah, BPM. But yeah, that's a uh, that's just me, I guess, listening to thinking about old school uh, records. Anyway, we are back. There were some fun stats in there. I think the 167 million videos on TikTok every minute was something that, that really kind of stuck out for me. Anyway, today uh, we are listening to the interview that I did just the other day with uh, a wonderful international sustainable educational professional, one of the best that, that I know, that certainly I've come across. I learned an awful lot in this conversation, which was really good because, as you well know, my my focus, my career focus is certainly in that area. It was lovely to bounce ideas off um, with Alexa. So without further ado, I will share the, the interview uh, with Alexa Rose uh, Petinari. My apologies if I've pronounced that wrong, Alexa. I most certainly probably have. Uh, so my apologies. But anyway, this was a wonderful conversation. So please do uh, listen in. You might want to take some notes because she makes some fantastic points in here. Welcome, Alexa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> it's great to see you. But luckily for our for our listeners anyway, they are only hearing us. So that that wonderful wave you just gave me will not be seen. Um, but it but it will be felt by our listeners, I'm absolutely sure. Uh, so Alexa, before I go off onto a tangent talking about waving and radios, I'm going to ask you about you. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your educational journey? Mm. My educational journey is, uh, it's got a lot of twists and turns. It's very long, (laughs) but I'll shorten it for you. So um, I'm originally from California. I'm from Napa Valley. 
uh, and I graduated from there and I went to college in Portland, Oregon, which is the microbrew capital of the United States, if you didn't know. So went from one hub to another. Uh, and I majored in environmental ethics and policy, which is never on the drop down menu, uh, but it was a very new degree when I was going there. And uh, I had an internship at uh, Environment Oregon, which is a local NGO that works with environmental policy. And I helped to develop the campaign to ban the plastic bag in three major cities in Oregon. Uh, yeah, it was grueling. You have no idea how difficult it is to I, get people to get on board with stuff. <laughs> I, I believe um, that it must be incredibly hard and I will be picking your brains about that later. That's <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. you. please continue. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, and from there, um, when we won the campaign, I was really excited. So I got together with a group of students. Uh, I think there was only like five of us in my major at that time. And we founded the Divest UP group, which uh, was focusing on getting the university to divest from fossil fuels. So we did a lot of public education on what that means uh, <laughs> because a lot of people didn't know. And at the time it was really trending. And so we were trying to get it into the media. Uh, eventually after I left, somebody picked it up and it did and eventually work, which was really cool to see. Um, but when I graduated, uh, I took a job in Thailand teaching English and I just kind of dropped everything and flew across the world and decided to start teaching. Found out I really enjoyed it. Um, I was teaching in the middle of nowhere in Bantan Chayapum, which is like a village with nothing around it. So I was doing a lot of environmental education to teach English, which was something that I was not really familiar with. Um, and I realized I needed a lot more training. So I started self-training, doing a lot of certifications and getting Yale teacher certified, you know, TEFL. And I moved on from there to Bangkok, where I founded uh, a company with another person working in Myanmar. So I was director of partnerships and communications for Faircap Angels, which is an angel investment group that works mostly in Myanmar. Well, it did work mostly in Myanmar. And uh, we were basically, my job was to go into communities and find out what their biggest problem is and then connect them to investors and solutions. Uh, and I did that for about a year. I went through Bangladesh and tried to connect the Rohingya community back to Myanmar and through Miek all the way down through there. Um, I eventually ended up leaving that company and going to Vietnam, where I did a lot of uh, EAL teaching in all different kinds of schools. Uh, secondary schools, elementary schools. Uh, I tried to integrate the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals into all my lessons because that's where my heart really has always been. Uh, and then from there, I ended up in Malaysia and now I am the, uh, the Sustainability Coordinator for an international school here in Malaysia. And I will be moving to be the head of the Sustainability Department at another international school in a couple of months. And I also work as a, a project officer of advocacy for the Global Schools Program with the United Nations. So yeah, that's kind of how it ended up. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow, there's, that is a journey. That is a journey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and as you say, twists and turns all the way along the way there. It's, it's brilliant. And, and congratulations on, um, on your new job, I guess. All right, Thanks. order. Uh, well done. So a few things from, from what we've picked out there, uh, and, and we'll get to those in a minute. 
But before we do, um, you are an international sustainable educational professional, which sounds awesome, yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely awesome. Um, I like the sound of that. It sounds really cool, but what is it exactly? Yeah, it's a good question. It's one, it's quite a mouthful. Um, <laughs> two, uh, I didn't really know what I was actually until um, when I was doing my master's of education, uh, somebody asked me what my what my tagline was and I couldn't answer it. So I asked a professor and he was like, oh, I think you're an international educator. I was like, yeah, I think so because I teach internationally all levels from you know preschool all the way through 90 years old, however old you are, it doesn't matter. And I do it for everywhere all over the globe because it's through the internet and I'm in different countries. So that makes it inherently international, but it's a little bit more focused than that. So it's mostly focused on the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and trying to create lessons around those concepts, no matter where I am or who I'm talking to, you can always touch on them because it's English. You're teaching English. You can use any content. Um, but then it becomes more focused <laughs> at a certain point where when somebody asks you what your specialty is and you're like, well, actually, um, I know a lot about this one particular thing because I've been doing it for quite some time now. Uh, so sustainable education professional, but international. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. Talk about those things. That is, that is wonderful. Now, I'd like to touch on a few different things now. Um, so you mentioned the SDGs. Now, I have a very, very, very strong love-hate relationship with the SDGs. As, as a teaching professional, as an educator, um, I adore the SDGs. I love them. I think they're brilliantly thought out. I think they're very visual. I think they're, you, know, you can find almost unlimited materials on them. They're a brilliant way of helping students find a, a passion that, that, you know, that they can really find their way. And it is a great way of connecting, as you mentioned, every single lesson to something sustainable. So I love them as an educator. These are like, they are gold. So it's like someone has come up to me and gone, here you go. This is the, the perfect framework for you to teach whatever you want, whenever you want. So that side of me, I love the SDGs. I think they're so good. The other part of me, the more kind of just regular, straight up human part of me thinks, why do we have these that we created eight years ago? Um, we have seven years left to achieve them. How are we so far from the goal? How are we not getting, you know, much closer to, to most of these 17 goals. Yes, there are areas that are being improved, but on a grand scale, on a global scale, on a, on a corporate scale, how are we so far from achieving these goals? We, you know, we're over 50% of the way through and we're not even 5% close to achieving them. Yes, I can agree with that. Um, my personal opinion on how that works out politically that one needs to stay out of conversation, I'm pretty sure. But uh, as an educator, I think it's a great framework. And as a human being of the planet who works for an organization and a company, um, I think that whether or not we are close to them is irrelevant when it comes to being a teacher. Uh, your, 
or an educator or just a professional in general, my, my job is not to push policy. My job is to make sure that the next generation knows what they are and how to incorporate those goals into their everyday lives. So, I mean, when it comes to how close we are, yeah, that, that has a lot to do with the politics of it. And somebody who's back on politics, I will tell you, it's really, really difficult to get anybody to agree on anything ever. <laughs> I think teachers play politics all the time at school, and it's really difficult to get anybody to agree on anything ever. So when it comes to how do nations and larger organizations move forward in their, their SDG goals, like how do I just G stands for goals? <laughs> yeah, how do we move forward in that? Um, that one requires them to build their own pathway. The the SDGs are just a framework for what needs to be done. And I think what's happening now is we're seeing people get really nitpicky about what the framework is meant to do. Is it meant to tell you exactly how to do everything? Because you know, certainly for one context. You know, gender equity is not going to look the same in Canada as it does in Afghanistan. It's not possible. You have to localize your context wherever you are. And that's really, really important for educators working with the SGs to understand that you cannot take this blanket framework and the example in every online article you read coming out of North America or coming out of Europe as something that will apply in Nigeria or in South America or in Malaysia. It's just not going to happen because one, the plants aren't the same. <laughs> two, the people aren't the same. There's nothing the same about these places. So I think what's becoming an issue is that as we become more globalized, people are starting to realize that you can't blanket statement everything. You, you have to understand it in an individual context, in a local context. And that takes local actors to put that together. And right now, there are not that many people in the world that are highly trained in this particular field because it's so new. It's so new that I had to create a title for myself. Like when I went up to my boss and was like, I think, we could use somebody on sustainability full time. She was like, yeah, we should do that. What do we call that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to make up a job title then because <laughs> we don't have one of those. Um, so I think a lot of places are lost on, on how to localize the context. And that's where you come into the problem with completing the goals because the framework was too massive. And that's where you, you get back to the grassroots theory, right? So the kind of work that I did with Environment Oregon, that's grassroots. I was at farmers markets every day talking to people and arguing with people about why we need clean water. You know, like every single day I was coming into contact with people that disagreed and being like, hey, I mean, if you don't want clean water, that's cool, but you shouldn't prevent other people from having it. And I know that that may disagree with your worldview, but maybe you can see it from somebody else's perspective and trying to get people to have empathy, that's difficult. Trying to get people to act, that's difficult. You have to have really motivated people in order to start a grassroots initiative. And it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> I think a lot of people are not prepared for it. Um, and then they, they end up giving up. So you'll see a lot of great initiatives that get started and then they kind of fizzle out within the first year because nobody has that kind of energy. It's just... Yeah hard to find <laughs> i think like so the lucky thing we have as educators um is there's far less of that kind of backlash when you know when you're speaking to primary age students or even you know even secondary age students 
they they tend to be an awfully lot more receptive to these ideas you know you know, they're like, wow, I, actually, I do think everyone deserves clean water, you know, because it doesn't necessarily directly go against, well, number one, their income, which a lot of people argue. Uh, number two, their principles, which um, a lot of people have some seriously warped principles. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're very lucky to be able to, to get into our schools with, with these ideas. And as I mentioned, I do love the SDGs for that. Um, and it really is so important what you say. The, you know, yes, think global, but act local. Of course, you know, you cannot, you cannot have an impact on the whole world. You, you can't do that. You, it's, it's absolutely impossible, but you can have an impact on your school, your classroom, your parents, the people around you, you know, the people who you come into direct contact with. So I, I love what you said there about the fact we can't really affect policy. And it's, it's not the SDGs fault that policy isn't being changed. You know, they're there to, to help create this awareness and they are wonderful for us as educators. But yeah, at the end of the day, policy and changing policy is a lot more difficult than uh, we would possibly want to imagine, you know, unless we can jump in there and write a whole bunch of executive orders to change things to, to suit our best friends. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's unrealistic, unrealistic to think that we can be that impactful right off the bat, and even within the first 20 years. I mean, this is not something, you know, our students right now may maybe go into policy in the future if you're lucky you'll have the next president of the united states in your classroom or something like that who knows but even then do they really have that much impact over policy because it, it really takes the entirety of the government to agree on one thing to be able to move forward no matter where you are it's there's no place in the world where one guy was like you know what i think i'm just gonna go ahead and sign off on this bill that everybody gets clean water done that never happens <laughs> as much as we would like it to. But if you have a community initiative that funds itself sustainably to give everybody in that community clean water, then you can duplicate it in places that have similar access or similar resources. Now, if they don't, then you look for an innovation that is locally applicable. But that's something that I think actually primary age students are very good at. They're, they're very receptive and they don't make it more complicated than it has to be because why would they? Everybody deserves clean water. Finish. How do we do that? Okay, moving on. Instead of fighting over why we can't have it, they just look for a way to do it. I, I love that that purity as well, you know. And, and it's such a simple question, you know. You ask a student, "Do you think everybody deserves clean water?" The answer is obviously yes. Like it's an obvious yes, you know. Do you think everybody deserves to have you know equal opportunities for a job? Well, yeah, you know, you ask them these these kind of questions and. And that that purity that comes from from a you know a child's answer is is something that I wish we could have on a on a on a on a grander scale. Now I want to rewind um, back to the the plastic bag ban. Now mm. it's it's something that has been you know attempted in a lot of places. Something that to me seems fundamentally an incredibly easy thing to do. You know when it comes to a change in policy it seems like you know, of anything not using plastic bags anymore is a really very easy thing to do you know okay do you have plastic bags in your shop yes okay don't use them anymore 
they've done it in some shops here in, in Spain, brilliant. They've done it in, in some places in Bali, in Rwanda, in, in certain areas. Um, and what I've done here with a lot with the local school, I live in a very small village, by the way, probably not quite as small as the one you lived in in Thailand. Um, there's about 7,000 people here. I made one school um, and we go into, you know, I go into that school where my daughter goes and I speak to the students about using their voice, be it in English or in Spanish, usually English because it's kind of my thing. Um, and I told them when they go into the supermarket, don't just say no thank you to the plastic bag. Don't just say no thank you. Say number one, say never. Um, and number two, say instead of asking people for a plastic bag, why don't you just not ask them and wait for them to ask you? You know, just that small change of mindset from the people who work in the in the supermarkets. And it's worked because you can go into any of the three supermarkets in the whole village. Three supermarkets, it's massive, it's a bustling metropolis. Um, and none of them will offer you a plastic bag. They still have the plastic bags, so okay, we're a way off there. But it's that small step. So I wanna know, how did you do it? All right, well, uh, I came in halfway through the campaign and it was struggling a lot when I was there, but then they put a full team on it. And uh, we actually created a toolkit um, I'm not sure if it's still up on their website because that was a long time ago, but basically it starts with you go to everyone, you just contact as many people as possible and you ask them why they think they need plastic bags. And if they're like, oh, uh, I guess not. <laughs> and then you have a petition, everybody signs this petition and you collect all of those petitions and you keep collecting them and you keep collecting them and you keep collecting them and you keep talking to people and you go into public spaces you go to business owners you go to as many people as you can think of you meet down with the rich guys in the the area and you talk to them you're like why are we doing this still and they're like i don't know let me sign your petition hey get some funding from them and then you go and you take all these boxes of petitions that you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boxes of petitions and you just smack them down in front of your local council person whoever that is no matter how small or how big you're going in government you just drop all of them in front of them and be like this is all the people that want you to ban plastic bags in your city today why is it not being done and you just keep annoying them <laughs> until they listen and eventually they will and you have to reach out to media you have to make a big deal about it you just have to be noisy because the the reality is that these policymakers in your local districts at least in the united states i'm not sure about outside my specialty is kind of the us because that's where i'm from but uh, they don't really think about the environmental initiatives as a priority they have other things that they're worrying about, whatever that may be. Um, there's so many issues, right? So you have to just make it in their ear all the time. You have to put pressure on them. And as soon as they get pressure, then they have to visit it. Otherwise people are going to be like, hey, I, I signed that petition. Why are you not doing something about this? Like it's a plastic bag, it's that easy. Why are you not doing it? So I think the plastic bag campaign ran for about Two, to, two or three years, I can't remember exactly. Um, but we only got them, when I was there, we only got them banned in three cities in Oregon. And there's a lot more than three cities. <laughs> I'll tell you that, there's a lot more than three cities in Oregon, but it was three major cities. And we went there and we held a press conference and we were like, hey, look, we did it by 
basically just being as annoying as possible. So here's a toolkit. Here's what you can do. Here's all the numbers of the media outlets. If you want to write an article about how plastic bags are affecting your city and you submit it to the local news and then they publish it, you just keep putting it out there. You keep it at the front of everybody's mind by putting it everywhere that they look. And then they'll have to think about it. Every time they pick up a plastic bag, they'll be like, oh yeah, I read that article. It was on the news this morning about how turtles die when there's plastic bags in the water and they'll feel guilty. And then they'll be like, okay, maybe I'll not do that. Second, second step is once you have it inside of everybody's mind all the time is to make sure that there's an alternative available. So whatever it is that you're trying to get rid of, you need to make sure that there is an, a readily easy alternative available to them. Third step is just to make it impossible for them to use the thing. So get business owners, if the policy is not being passed, you just get business owners to commit to removing the plastic bag themselves. So they no longer offer plastic bags. Maybe it starts with just one day a week that they're not offering them. So Mondays, they don't offer plastic bags. Now they only have these reusable bags that are available at the counter for 99 cents when you check out. You have to use one of these. Otherwise, you carry all your groceries yourself. <laughs> and then once people forget enough times on a Monday that they have to bring their own bag and they now have like 10 bags, they're going to keep bringing them because they're like, oh, I bought this. I have to use it instead. And it just becomes habit after that. So now in those areas in Oregon, it's like, I don't think they even have plastic bags anymore like available unless it's for takeout. And even those places have switched over to paper bags instead of plastic. So... I think in a, in a village as small as this one as well, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that difficult. You know, there's there's literally seven thousand people. I could could walk around and knock on all the houses, but I, you know, obviously couldn't do that. That would be really annoying. Um, so you know, a group of people, could, a group of people could canvas about this, but you know, again, it would be something that would be great to start at the school level because you know when the kids are talking in their parents' ears and stuff like that. And the thing that really gets me with plastic bags, I've given away so many tote bags in the supermarket because my rucksack is full of tote bags. So I'll be like, I'll see someone getting a bag and be like, no, no, just take this, it's fine. Um, but the thing that, that really bugs me is the amount of boxes that there are in supermarkets, like, because they're bringing all the materials in boxes. So why on earth are they not at the cash desk and people say hey look instead of a plastic bag here's a box don't forget to take it to the recycling afterwards but no they break them up and they say no no we have to recycle these boxes no you don't no you don't have to recycle the boxes just like you don't have to throw that food away because that avocado is fine it's not gonna get you i don't know arrested so give me the avocado <laughs> anyway sorry again that's food waste it's something completely different um, oh, so yeah, I this idea. For days about that one. Ooh, yeah. don't, please don't get me started with Mike. <laughs> so, um, yeah, again, that's something that's it's, it's so good to get the the students involved in. And again, that that idea of you know telling the students when their when their parents are in the supermarket and they ask for a plastic bag, maybe well, one put it into the trolley or whatever you would call it in the United. What's the trolley called in the US? The shopping cart. Shopping cart. Put it in a shopping cart, take it to your cart and put it into your boot. You know, you don't, your trunk. There you go again. <laughs> you don't need, you know, you can put boxes in your trunk. You don't need to take those plastic bags because what, you're going to use them for, I think there's, there's, it's 12 minutes is the, the statistic, isn't it? The average plastic bag is used for 12 minutes, something along those lines, mm. um, which is just obscene. So, yeah. so for me, that is, is one of those great projects that you can start with a local school you know in in an area it's a, a brilliant way to to 
in a very visual way for students to see the difference they're making, but also see how difficult it is to get something as simple as that. Like it's a very simple thing not to have a plastic bag because we don't need them. You know, we really don't need them. It, it, it's, it's one of those things to me, a bit like littering. Why do people do it? Why do people throw trash on the floor? They just do. And it's a bit like that for me with plastic bags. Why do we still use it? However, the difference here is now big supermarket chains make a lot of money out of plastic bags because, you know, they charge 20 cents per plastic bag. They used to be free. They brought in this charge as a way to deter people from, from using them. But obviously, it didn't deter people from using them that much. It did just give the supermarkets a huge boost in their income. So why would they ban them if they're making 20 cents per plastic bag? Oh, sorry. When I put a bit on rant right there, <laughs> it happens from time to time. I'm sure you understand it. Um, I really do. <laughs> I get in trouble for it a lot. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> why did they let me go on the radio? Uh, terrible, <laughs> terrible choice. Why are you giving this man a platform? Um, anyway, I digress, unsurprisingly. Uh, so we've looked a bit about this, this plastic bag ban and how it's you know something that we can we can start in our schools and it's a great way to help students find their voices and and also those other areas within campaigning, within environmentalism. You know, whenever I talk about it, people always think so the next series of renewable English is called Cultivating Changemakers, because this idea is to help young people become change makers. Whenever I say that, people's automatic thought is. Ah, so you want to turn everyone into Greta? You know, well, no. Um, the, the idea is that not just the activist on the front line. You know, and when you have one of these campaigns, there is so much behind it. There is the collecting of the signatures and, and all these. It's not just one person standing up screaming, you know, excellent catchphrases. Uh, there's a whole lot more behind it than that. Mm. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, I think the most important thing to remember when you're working with students on, on projects, on change-making projects, is that schools tend to get islanded, isolated. They, they become islands. Um, they get really disconnected from the community. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is safeguarding. You know, it's, it's not easy to just bring people that randomly off the street and be like, hey, come on to our school because, you know, people can be terrible. <laughs> so we can't do that. We can't open our doors just like randomly to people. But there are ways to connect with the community around you locally, like literally right next door to schools, there are small businesses, there's big businesses, there's, you know, so many different things just right next to the school and it tends to be that schools are really isolated from those places and why though i mean there there's safeguarding problems but you could meet with those people as a teacher you could meet with them as an administrator and figure out if they're safe to come be working with the school you can have parents and students go out into the community and teach them about what they're learning about in school because maybe it is that the business owner just doesn't know that plastic bags are bad you don't know they may have never heard that that was a thing uh, they might not know that littering is bad they might not know that burning their trash is bad I know in Southeast Asia a lot of people still think it's better to burn their trash than to not because they think it's cleaner but they don't understand that like what they're doing is really horrible <laughs> so... not a great thing to do it's really terrible, right? Um, and it smells really bad and I would really prefer not to have to drive by that in the morning. <laughs> but, um, 
all these all these things is about educating the community. So the the first step in making your students change makers is to make them teachers, and that gives them a sense of agency over what they've learned. They become responsible for making sure that they understand it because they are going to teach people. <laughs> and if they teach people the wrong thing, then it's their fault, and then they have responsibility over it. So the primary motivation for creating change makers is to create people who are responsible for their own actions. And I think that that is lost on a lot of people these days, especially with the anonymity of the internet. Um, people do things and they don't have to take responsibility for it. And, you know, our younger students now have grown up entirely with the internet and especially over COVID where they were only on the internet for two years. They're completely anonymous in other regards. They don't really have a sense of responsibility, which is something that I, I saw a lot of with my students when we returned to the classroom. Uh, so how do you, how can, is it possible to even make a change maker if they don't have a sense of personal responsibility of self-awareness? I, I would argue that it's not. So that's well, the first absolutely step. Not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I think for me that the first step in doing that, so yeah, as you say, to, the aim is to, to make them become teachers in the end of it. Um, for me, the, the, the genuine first step is, and it should be the way for any teacher really, is listening to your students, to listening to what they want. You know, it, they might not say to you, I want clean water for everybody. You know, they might just say, um, I don't know, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. But the important thing is that you stop and you listen to them and you let them be heard, you let them feel that, that their voice is important to you. Because once they've spoken to you and they know that you respect their voice, you respect their opinion, then they'll be much more likely to, to take the next step and, and go beyond and, and go out into the, the big wide world and, and share that idea. And, and, and for me, one of the, the real keys to them wanting to share that idea is that thing of finding what they're passionate about. Because I really wish I could go into a classroom and just say to them, okay, today we're gonna learn about gender equality and now you're all gonna go out and be activists for, for gender equity, you know, go out there and do that. It's not gonna resonate with every student. Yes, the younger the student is, the easier it is to kind of get them motivated about almost anything, Let's be honest, you know, you can get a, you can get a six year old excited about flags. So, you know, if you can get a six year old invited about, excited about flags, they can be excited about almost anything. But it's so important for them to to have that connection to, to what they're going to be making change with. You know, it's great that they learn all this information and, and find out all these new things. But if they don't have that connection, then they will never be able to they'll never be able to become change makers in that aspect that respect if they don't really care about it mm, yeah i agree with that completely there there has to be a sense of personal attachment to it in a regard um like i said earlier this kind of circles back it takes a lot of energy and kids have a lot of energy but if they don't care about it then they're not going to put their energy towards it. it has to be directed so making them care about it or helping them define what it is that they care about that is the most difficult part, I think. You're like, what is it that Bobby over here really cares about? And he's like, YouTube. <laughs> You're like, what part of YouTube? <laughs> Let's explore that. And then you kind of almost feel like you're becoming their therapist at a certain point, but <laughs> you're not yeah. because you're not that kind of professional. <laughs> I think for me, that is like where the, the SDGs are absolutely key. Um, 
in finding that that passion because it is it's a, it's a brilliantly well thought out framework it, it is exceptional of course it has its flaws also you know it was written you know, eight years ago which is a lifetime ago effectively for these students it's a lifetime ago anyway because they weren't alive then um, and a lot of things in the world have changed since 2015 you know there's there's not a lot about mental well-being in there you know if they were written now i'm sure good health and well-being would have a much larger focus on students mental well-being um and you know the the idea of eco-anxiety would be be highly prevalent in there um mm. but that said it's still a wonderful framework and it can still be utilized brilliantly and you know you can update it yourself you know when it comes to well-being you can talk about mental well-being with your students you don't have to only follow the un policy on you know well-being you can you can introduce that into your classes through the sdgs and and yeah for me they are absolutely vital to to helping students find their passion yeah it really helps that they're open-ended and modular in that regard so you can just kind of pick and choose and add on as much as you want and they were designed to be that way and i think a lot of the the criticism that that particular framework faces is coming from people who don't really understand that it was not meant to be like the the word of God. This is not the yeah. word of God. It's not like the UN is like this is the only thing that can be here. It's we will just save the world framework. with this. <laughs> only this and nothing else. No, it it's not. You know, it's not a testament. It's it's a framework, and it's completely open ended. It's completely redo. <laughs> I'm an English teacher and I just keep making up words. But yeah, that's, that's uh, the beauty of the job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the kids see it. They see it as something. And we have them uh, in my classroom. They're on the wall, right? And I found it's a lot easier to get students motivated when you give them a choice of two things that are acceptable, right? So you'd be like, do you want to work on SDG 1 or SDG 7 today? And they're like, uh, I don't really like one. I'm like, well, you can have seven. And they're like, yeah, okay. Seven sounds good. And then they get excited about it because they don't have another choice. I mean, it's the the parenting tactic, right? Would you like peas or carrots with your dinner? And they're like, oh, I want carrots. And you're like, yep, good, because both are fine. <laughs> but if you give them like, what do you want for dinner? Then it'll be like ice cream, you know? Um, what do you want to learn about in class today? Video games. Okay, I can work with that. But how about you pick one of these? <laughs> and then we can work around that one. It directs things a little easier. The fact that there's so many of the SDGs gives it a little bit more fluidity and no matter what you're doing. Very and their, their interconnectedness is wonderful as well, particularly with, you know, slightly, slightly older learners, maybe not with your, your six and seven year olds, you know, showing them the all of the connections between them, you know, well, actually, climate action is connected to no poverty. What? Um, it's good for them to know, but it's quite difficult for them to kind of understand the interconnected concept. But as you go through the, the ages of school, as you go through the different years, it, it's so easy for students to see the the way they're, they're connected. The only one I have a, a real difficulty with is SDG 8. Um, decent work, I'm fully on board with. Economic growth is not something I can, I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, in terms of uh sustainability and uh and in general with um the health of the planet there are areas of economic growth that, that can help but then you know this obsession with growth is is a little bit it's a bit much um for, for me i to think 
in that one in particular, it's really important to remember that there's nothing you can do to stop business. It's just not going to happen. So trying to get business on board and in line with something that is more sustainable is really important. And that kind of economic growth, I think, is what is being targeted there. I mean, renewable energy is important, but like there are so many other innovative technological solutions that can be had there that can be found. Uh, that kind of economic growth is, I think, what the target should be. Looking for businesses that can find innovative technological solutions to the problems that we have with sustainability not being had <laughs> in economic sectors. So yeah, I mean, as much as Microsoft and Intel and all these other huge companies wanna make more money, that's great, but can they come up with something? Can they build growth around something that is actually going to help everyone to grow economically, to, to bring everybody above the poverty line, to give everybody clean water? I mean, there's so many crazy innovations out there right now. I mean, I saw like a desalination thing that's in, in the ocean that like always desalinates so that it never needs any extra power. I don't like what oh, <laughs> or like the, the waves like something just like sits on top of the ocean and the waves like go up and down and that generates perpetual energy and i was like that what that blows my mind you know there's all these really cool things coming out and um, even like oh chat gpt man i started using that the other week and i was I'm impressed on it. very impressed i'm on it right <laughs> now like if you look to my screen <laughs> you would see chat gpt right now and i i, I use it have you have you used oh. it to help you plan lessons? Yeah. And to yeah. The, I mean, it's incredible. I was like, wow, am I okay? Am I going to not have a job? <laughs> like, I, this, I, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I find, I find it really useful. Um, and it is, you know, it's all about how you, how you put your prompts into it, obviously. Um, mm. Yeah, I've, I've, I've planned a few lessons with it. It does get very saving after, you know, a very short while, but it's, it's great for ideas. Um, I, I think it's yeah really good for ideas. Um, but yeah, I don't think it would take her job just yet. <laughs> well, I read an article just today that was like, oh, teachers can't be replaced because there's a human element to teaching that AI just can't replicate, um, which is true. I mean, you know, I think that the human element of teaching that never really gets talked about is like when you have a kid that walks in the classroom and you know they're not okay, you know yeah. they aren't because you see them every day and you know what the, the baseline is. And then you can be the one thing standing between them and something horrible or really great, depending on what's happening. So that element can't really be achieved by AI because it's more of a, a gut feeling, but maybe it's just us picking up on the little things that yeah. happen throughout the day. So I did read it. Great... Replaced. <laughs> I said it here first. <laughs> I read a great quote from, from one of my fellow presenters, Graham Stanley, um, who was actually in Portland the other day for the, the TESOL International uh, Conference. Anyway, um, they, sorry, Portland connection there. Uh, yeah, and it was the, the teacher who is afraid they're gonna be replaced by a computer probably should be. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, if, you don't, if you're not confident in those, those soft skills that you have as a, as a human, um, then you know maybe you should be not teaching if you think a robot can do a better job than you i mean don't get 
planning brilliant. that's a good point that's fair yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but for, for me like in terms of planning it's great and okay there's stuff like um illustrations i feel very sorry for a lot of illustrators because you know there goes a vast amount of work that can be done by by ai but in terms of teaching i think it's a, a very long way from from completely taking our jobs at the moment it just makes my job an awful lot easier it really helps with and if i get stuck i, I do a lot of writing as well if i get stuck in any kind of like writer's block i just I'll, I'll ask chat gpt to give me a suggestion and it will help me come up with something new and something different um so for me it helps with that as well you just gave me an idea <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it can be used by our students as well um properly because at the end of the day if we're not teaching our students how to use it then they'll just yeah use it anyway. it's a disservice really yeah. So yeah, yeah. So we've digressed somehow. And somehow chat GPT <laughs> now we're is, on AI is, literacy. Yeah. How did we get there? <laughs> exactly. Somehow it makes its way into every single conversation. It's already taking over our minds. Um, <laughs> which incidentally, another weird thing that happened to me, um, and then we'll get back on topic, is this weekend the clocks went forward um here in Spain. They spring forward, obviously, uh, as they do um in, in your home country, and they fall back. Now, we've, we've stolen your use of the word autumn to fall. Um, and they went forward this weekend, and I, I hate the clocks changing. It really annoys me. It's like, it just leaves the clocks already. We don't, we no longer live in an agricultural society. It's not necessary. It's just, you're just flexing your, your power on us because you can power. I'm so up. glad to be done with it, honestly. <laughs> oh, God, makes me so mad. But that said, we don't even know they're doing it to us anymore because our phones just change automatically. So you wake <laughs> up feeling really tired and you come, you don't even know. You look at the time, you're like, oh, it's seven o'clock already. What's going on? Man? My eyes, they don't want to open. And I didn't realize until about probably midday when I went into the kitchen and I looked at the clock and I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> even. So yeah, um, anyway, that was just one of my like weird things that happen this weekend. Um, so I, I digress there completely, as I often do. Let's get back to um, you and what you do. Uh, you are taking up a new role soon. Um, what's your new role going to entail? Or, or is should I, do, do you not know yet? <laughs> have you not invented uh, I have... a new role yet? Or... <laughs> Uh, I have an idea. One of the coolest parts about being in this particular field is that I, I don't think anybody knows what that means, what your job means, so you kind of get to design it, um, which I think it's important that you really care about what it is, otherwise it, it just doesn't turn into anything. But the same thing with the role I'm in now, the sustainability coordinator role doesn't actually have a job description. Um, there, isn't one. We we're supposed to write one. That meeting's about eight months overdue or something like that. Um, it never happened. But basically, um, right now, what I do, it's connecting uh, the school to outside entities and running projects in the school and also throughout the school. So the one, the, the school that I work on, I'll refrain from giving the name because 
I don't know who's listening, but uh, there are Everyone's two different schools. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a national and an international school on the same campus. So they share secondary and primary for both national and international school, which means two different curriculums on one campus and four different schools. Wow. So I coordinate throughout the entire campus, things that could happen like uh, composting, which we are really struggling with because it's, it is very hot in Malaysia and compost gets really gross really fast. Um, yeah, you have no idea, it's so gross. Um, so we need to work on our campus education of what does not go in the compost bin. I learned that one the hard way. Don't mm, make that mistake. <laughs> um, it's so bad, you have no idea. <laughs> um, it's um, and another project that we're doing is a collaboration with a, a company called Reimagine Plastic. Um, so they they came through to us through the Penang Green Council, which is uh, the local environmental government organization, and they contacted us to see if we would take part in a project where we collect plastic bags, the single-use plastic bags that you mentioned, and then we turn them into giant panels to make a giant hot air balloon with other schools in the country. Yeah, so cool. right now that's our STEAM project that we're going to unveil at our STEAM festival, which will be very cool. Um, then we also have things like uh, Suji just introduced uh, the oh. math courses to us. Yeah, it. so I've been doing the beta testing with different groups inside of the school to see if that's something that our secondary students or our primary students can use in their like supplementary for their curriculum. And um, how awesome is it? It's so cool. <laughs> I, I've been pushing the, the heads of school really hard. I'm like, this is in, for lack of a better word, dope. You need to use this. This is the coolest so thing. Cool. Uh, that I have put in my classroom. So that one is being pushed in. But basically I just present ideas. And then if the, the heads of school are like, oh yeah, we can do that. Or that sounds like something that would be good. Then I help to design the project and facilitate its implementation, um, which can be completely honest, really requires an entire team of people, not just one person, but uh, we're team. getting there. So yeah, hopefully. Um, so yeah right now the school I work in doesn't have a department for it but the school that I'm moving to is creating the department of sustainability so I'll be head of department um, which is new and they don't really know and the school that I'm at now has a huge green campus it's like right next to the rainforest I mean we get dusky langer monkeys coming and playing on our playground sometimes which oh, is so wow. cool um, and they're like surrounded by butterflies and nature and all these cool species and the school that i'm moving to is a building <laughs> there is zero green space it is in the middle of urban everything it's like right next to the highway and it's up it's a tall building and there's no green space so i'm trying to figure out how to design how do you design projects that are urban sustainability urban projects. I mean, environmental educators, it's so easy when there's a tree, you know, like yeah. you can do so much with just a tree, but yeah. what happens when you don't have a tree well, <laughs> or even it. a flower yeah. or a bug? <laughs> yeah, that's it with, the, with like, you know, green schools and forest schools, they, they are incredible. I absolutely love them. I wish everybody could go to one of those schools, you know, that, to be able to have that connection with nature, 
because it's, when you have that connection with nature, it's, it's easy. It's easy to be an environmentalist when you can see it and you can see the damage that's happening to it. When you live in an urban environment, when you've grown up in an urban environment, when that's all you've ever known is is no insects, you know, it's really hard to get any kind of connection or understanding or, or empathy for that nature when, you know, the best the, the best you can possibly have is a plant in your classroom, which is a brilliant start, don't get me wrong, it's always the fundamental number one thing I say to, to my teachers, um, you know, get a plant in your classroom, but it, it's going to be a very different challenge, that's for sure. I actually, I was thinking about the projects, talking with my partner. Um, what can we start with that will be really impactful and get the students like really excited? Um, one of my favorite projects I did at the school I'm working at now was mushrooms, cultivating oh, mushrooms. Yeah. Which if you haven't done, it's so satisfying because they oh, grow yeah. so fast. They really like do. they become ginormous in just a couple of days. But there's a, a species of fungus that eats plastic. It biodegrades plastic and yeah. here you can get the spores just like delivered to you and I was like what if we created a giant see-through box where we had the spores just in there and we put our plastic waste in it and watch them degrade it over time and like put some cool lights in it so it looks all like sci-fi <laughs> but oh, that would be something man, you could do indoors sick. wouldn't that be cool so cool right and it would be really local cost it would be yeah. really easy to do and really i think impactful if like if i can get it right i hope i can get it right i'm not a mycologist so we'll see idea. maybe i'll consult the local university <laughs> is, yeah that would be really cool and there'll be such a <clears throat> like a like you say an impactful thing to have set up just there where they can see it so yeah. i have another question surprisingly mm -hmm. enough um <laughs> So your, your work is involved in, in these various project areas and, and things like that. So do your schools, your schools, the school you're in now, the, the 18,000 schools under one roof that you're in at the moment, <laughs> um, or the future school you're going to, um, is the sustainability department or the sustainability thing seen as, as an extra? Does it have to like bolt on to the lessons they already are? So do you have to go into science? Do you have to go into English? Do you have to go into these other areas? or is there a specific for you made like a steam sustainability subject that you can guide your students down with a curriculum they can follow and they can learn all these wonderful things you know that the climate is a commons and they can learn how to map their community these things or do you have to kind of shoehorn it in uh you you've come across the pain of my existence currently um so it started with I started an eco club and that's where I I did it a bit selfishly because I was doing my master's and I needed a thesis population <laughs> and I was like we're gonna have an eco club and this is how this is gonna go um, but it's continued um, so I've mostly been doing uh, environmental education in that context but I've been pushing really hard um, to during our curriculum review integrate sustainability concepts throughout the curriculum because it is that simple. You just take what they're learning and you just go, oh, that goes to SDG 8, that goes to SDG 17. It's so easy to do it that way, you would think. <laughs> but, it's so um, easy as a material. Uh, and they're writer, like, yeah, really yeah. Easy. We'll revisit that. And I'm like, but if we do it now, then there's no extra work, <laughs> right? Like, you just, you're getting a free lesson planned out of it. It's, uh, 
that simple. So right now, the, the, the thing is, they're just kind of tacking an SDG onto lessons sporadically, whereas ideally, what I would like to see happen is it interwoven throughout all of the subjects, and then it becomes sort of a, a STEAM learning opportunity as well, because mm -hmm. STEAM is inherently interconnected. So if you're taking the same concept and you're weaving it throughout all of the classes, it lends really well to a project-based learning end. So why don't we do that? It makes a lot of sense. You hit all of the curricular objectives for whatever curriculum it is that you're working on very easily in multiple classes at the same time as you're integrating sustainability and you're getting a lot of content handed to you because it's everywhere. I mean, if you type in sustainable lesson plan, you're going to get like 10 million results of just like all these pre-planned lessons for yeah. every level. It's already done for you and they're already curricularly aligned. <laughs> so we don't even have to do the work and you're basically telling all the teachers, here's some lessons. That's all you have to do. Finish. Yeah, that, that idea. So of... that would be the, the golden the... opportunity in the future. Hopefully that makes sense oh absolutely no yeah i, I love the, <laughs> the interwovenness of it i think it's, it's super important um and the idea of you know tacking one sdg on is something i've seen quite a lot in in elt with with books coming out now it's like this lesson is about good health and well-being it's about food it's like good health is it a food lesson is only about good health and well-being it's not about no hunger it's not about no poverty it's not about climate action it's not about life on land it's it's about good health and well-being because you have to eat the triangle don't forget the food triangle the food pyramid that is a lie it's a massive lie yeah. and in there will they even mention trying to reduce the amount of uh, the amount of animal products that you eat oh no 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 we can't tell people that so let's just leave it a good health and well-being make sure you eat your vegetables five a day and everything will be fine see i think that there's this really common misconception that what is what they feel like they need to do when they're planning a lesson to have sdgs integrated is they're throwing darts and they're trying to hit the target with their darts but what it actually is is just one person taking one needle with a green thread and weaving it through everything together and it takes very little to do that you just have to know where to stick the needle yeah. and that i think is what's really difficult because there are not a lot of people who know how to do that because it, it didn't exist <laughs> like i i think my university might be the only one that has my degree i don't think that that degree exists anywhere else and it's it's not something that's profitable. So not a lot of people go into it. So knowing where to stick that needle is something that is, it requires somebody to sit down, look at it and be like, okay, from the knowledge that I have of this particular thing in this context, and also these things, let me weave them together where, all they, where they stick. And that Venn diagram where they all overlap, then you can pick the needle up and push it through there. But the understanding of that isn't really there yet and trying to explain that to somebody without actually having a physical needle in front of you is i think it's difficult and um, if you figure out how to do it do let me know <laughs> it is really tricky it is really difficult um so my dog's just saying hello to us all there so hello <laughs> and if you would kindly be quiet that would be fantastic um just probably seeing one of our friends in the street um i think one quite simple way to, to get around this you know weaving that weaving um sorry threading the needle through all of the subjects you know it would take a while it would take somebody to sit down and do it and set it all up but why can't we now just a just a crazy heady out there idea 
why can't we take away an hour of maths every week and add in an hour of sustainability? And every week you have this one lesson that is, it will obviously involve some area of steam, you know, it will, it, within that, that why can't we do one hour less of maths or one hour less of English and put in this lesson that is a new lesson called sustainability. That way we can have the curriculum made, we can have all the materials there, the teachers will be able to see its connection to other subjects, but we won't have to go into teachers and impose and say to them, hey, you might need to rethink your lesson a tiny bit and not do exactly the same thing you've been doing for the last 10 years because you've got really comfortable with that. But we do have this new thing that is all there for you. Here is a sustainability curriculum. Why don't you do that? I think there's a couple of problems with that. Um, one is that it's a huge Change, and we all know that schools hate doing that, <laughs> just blanket. Um, second, it's entirely possible and probably more likely that most of the staff is not trained to teach those concepts and they don't actually know what they are. Third, you have parents who will strongly disagree with that and sustainability has become so politicized that they'll think that their children are getting some kind of education that they shouldn't be. Um, so they might pull their, their students out of that school for whatever it is. Uh, but I really think that the major issue is that teachers don't know how to teach it. So they're going to have to be trained on how to teach it. And that's going to require somebody to train them. And that's going to require a training curriculum. So that puts a lot more burden on the school to be able to deliver that heavy of a curriculum. Whereas if you do the, the th green thread method, it's one or two concepts woven in where the teacher can be like, oh, I, I didn't know that this word meant this, you know, and then they watch a YouTube video on what it means for that five minutes. And then they're prepared to teach that concept and connect it using critical thinking skills that maybe the students haven't gathered themselves yet. And they can teach them those critical thinking skills to connect those concepts. But if you're like, oh, we're going to take an hour and we're going to do only sustainability and you're like, OK, we're going to go into a green cycle assessment analysis. And they're like, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I have never heard of that before. And you're like, well, OK, back up. We need to talk about economics. Do you have a basic handle on economics? And they're like, I teach third grade math. <laughs> like, maybe not. <laughs> That's about so as these... good as my handle. <laughs> Um, and a lot of a lot of sustainability goes back to ethics. And if I've realized anything, it's that people don't understand that ethics and values are not the same thing. They're incredibly different and mm -hmm. in no way the same at all. But for some reason, people keep saying they are the same <laughs> and they're not. So that that tells me that the entire concept of ethics is foreign to most people. And most of the teachers that I come across also have a difficult time understanding it because it's not something that's required of study. You are not required to study ethics before you gain a degree or a teaching license, which is another topic I could digress on for a very oh, long time. Okay. But how many parties have I been at where they're like, okay, Alexa, you need to stop talking about ethics now. And I'm like, just one more point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's something that's difficult, but if you make it as easy as possible with just a little bit peppered in instead of one block, that seems less scary. And it's easier to implement with less training required. And it doesn't put so much of a toll on the institution to make sure that it's being taught uniformly across the school. 
because there's an entire <laughs> entirely different problem where maybe you know Dr. Joe over here and teacher Sandra are playing like two different versions of what it is to be sustainable because mm -hmm. even the definition of sustainability is not uniform. I mean, I think I spent like three months in one of my classes in college just trying to figure out what sustainable meant. That was like our entire lecture. <laughs> what is sustainability? That was the course. And it was just wow. three months of going over every definition and trying to synthesize it. And in the end, there wasn't one. <laughs> so, you know, if we can't even agree on what it is, then how can we possibly train people to teach it? There's a lot of disagreement. Everybody yeah. wants to be right. I think, I don't know, for me, I just think it's it's high time there was far more um, focus on training teachers to do with sustainability and so on and so forth. Um, because, you know, when it comes, I'm a teacher trainer, um, I train sustainability in ELT. And, you know, when I did a survey, the, the, num the two things that they, the main two things that said those teachers said were a barrier was they didn't have time because they've got exams to deal with and they've got, you know, information that they need to force into students' brains so they can regurgitate it for their exams. Um, and they didn't have the expertise. Right? They were the, the two things that I don't want to teach it because I don't understand it. But, well, you know, you, you can learn as you go. Um, don't worry. You'll learn. As you're, you're teaching third grade. You'll probably, you'll get, you'll probably get the concepts with them. So, um, I don't know. I think that area is something that, needs to be absolutely fundamental in teacher training be it you know english teacher, yeah. teacher training or school teacher teacher training whatever it is i think it needs to be a core part of it in them i completely agree with you i mean primarily i think uh, assessment reformation might be another way to look at <laughs> how to to get that problem off the table because regurgitating yeah. information for a test is not exactly the best way of measuring what somebody knows and if you didn't have to do that, then maybe you would have more time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thought. Yeah. But, and then you have to mark all the exams um, and you complain about marking the exams. Yeah. Or, but yeah let's, take that one up with Cambridge, I guess. Or, yeah. Let's not, <laughs> let's not get started uh, down that very, very, very dangerous, dark rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> however, the, our time is drawing to a close. Um, time flies like the wind. Um, fruit flies like bananas. There's something hilarious my parents used to say to me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Alexa. I'm sure we could sit here for another three or four hours um, putting the world to rights uh, and fixing everything that's wrong with education. But I'm afraid the show only has a certain length. So thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot. Um, I hope our listeners have learned a lot. And yeah, good luck in your new job. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. Cheers. See you later. Well, there you go. That was the interview. I, I hope you learned as much as I did um, as I'm, you know, currently sitting here with my green thread trying to weave it through absolutely everything, uh, which is an awful lot trickier than it seems. Um, but yeah, I've been here in front of screens for days and days and days now. Luckily, I do still have my classes that I can escape to um and actually
You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.